So I'll do that right now. We are taking time away from our normal, normal series to prepare for Christmas and to help prepare our hearts for worship. For Christmas is a worshipful event, the wonderful cele- the celebration of the wonderful truth that God has become man. An amazing, mind-blowing truth that God, the infinite, glorious one, uh, who cannot be contained in all of creation, became a man, was contained in and as a baby and a man. Last week we looked at the topic of rescuing Christmas from stress, and we looked at the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus, and how Mary was distracted by the many things that she had to do and lost focus. Her, her God, was re, uh, who was to be Jesus, was replaced by her tasks, and she forgot that the one thing was most necessary, the one thing of trusting in and being with Jesus. We learned through this truth how we can live rescued from stress, living as worshipers. This week I want to talk about rescuing Christmas from materialism. Rescuing Christmas from materialism. I would say that uh, the threat of materialism is always there, but perhaps during Christmas, the Christmas season, it is most dangerous, most daunting, most threatening to us. It's a season where we often spend a lot of money to buy a lot of things, and, and in that can get lost in materialism and have our Christmas stolen. So today, we're going to look at the scriptures and how they... Uh, as God's very word, rescue us from materialism, rescue our Christmas. Do you know that the average American plans to spend $854 on Christmas gifts this year? The average American will spend roughly $854 on Christmas gifts. It, It takes about six months for a credit card user to pay off holiday bills. The total U.S. card debt is is close to a trillion dollars. The average credit card debt for those who carry a debt is over $15,000. We live in this season of spending that can lead us to spending into debt. Interestingly, Americans are twice as rich as they were in the 1950s. So their buying power is twice as much as it was back then. We, ha- we can basically afford two times as many things, yet when surveyed about how happy they are, actually Americans are less happy. Uh, A smaller percentage would call themselves very happy than in the 50s, even though they're twice as rich. 84% of Americans say they'd prefer a less materialistic Christmas, yet each Christmas spending goes up more and more, beyond inflation, 6% this year. 82% of Americans agree that we buy and consume too much, and yet 93% of Teenage girls say shopping is their favorite pastime. I think we can extend that to others. So this is a reality for us, this press of materialism. And I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't spend any money, though there are, at Christmas time, though there are some movements out there, I think, isn't there a no-spend Christmas movement out there? That no, uh, I forget what it's called, something like that, where the idea is you don't spend any money uh, uh, at Christmas. And that may be a good thing to do, but that's not what I'm advocating. What I am seeking to do is to lead us into a worshipful Christmas. 
And in many ways, the, the, pattern, the pattern for a, sorry, my mic is moving on me. The pattern for worshipful giving is the pattern set by the magi, the, the wise men. And, uh, and we look at manger scenes. We see the wise men there, by the way. They probably didn't come while Jesus was still in the manger. Uh, they came later. And there probably weren't three of them representing three different skin tones. Um, but anyhow, the point is they came and they recognized who Jesus was. They knew that he was a special king. They saw in the stars. They were men who would have studied the stars and saw in the stars some great event happening. And so they came to worship him, and they came and they gave him gifts fit for a king. They gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. These royal gifts for a king, likely worth more than a year's wages, perhaps even more than that. They came as givers, and, and we can trace the giving at Christmas to the wise men, to their giving of gifts. And so we give gifts to one another. But sadly, I think we forget the heart of their giving. Their heart of their giving was worship of a king. And what I would like to do today as we look at Scripture is to restore the heart of giving and restore the heart of how we handle money and finances and material things from the truth of Scripture by God's grace. So let's pray as we prepare to dig into God's Word in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 12. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for your provision for us of your word to guide us and to rescue us, Lord. Uh, rescue us from materialism. We need your help. And we just cry out to you today, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us not have our Christmas and our hearts stolen by materialism, but to be freed up in you by your grace and through the, the truth and power of your word to handle our finances, to handle things in your way. We pray and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you could look with me at Luke chapter 12, I'm going to be reading verses 22 to 34. And just to give you a little bit of background here, um, what has gone on previous to this section is that uh, somebody was asking Jesus to arbitrate over financial disagreement, and he said, I'm not going to do that. And then he said... Uh, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told a story about a rich farmer who, who was prosperous as a farmer. And his biggest worry was what to do with his stuff. And so he thought, you know, what will I do with all my stuff? I'm going to build bigger barns so I can hold more stuff. I'm going to build my empire, basically, to take care of my stuff. And he did that. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So he used this story to illustrate what not to do, that this man was anxious about his things and so he sought to store them up and cared nothing for true riches. He cared nothing for his spiritual wealth and found himself having to meet his maker unprepared. So then Jesus launches into this section. So let's read together. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. 
Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's word, Luke chapter 12. What I want to do is just to go through this teaching from Jesus and his points that he makes. I want to make my points because I want you to hear what Jesus teaches. So we're just going to walk through this and, and, and learn from him. And I think what we'll learn as we go through this is this key truth is that God takes care of us in every way. God takes care of us in every way so we can be free from anxiety to use our resources for his kingdom. God takes care of us in every way. So we can be free from anxiety to use our resources for his kingdom. Jesus starts out here going from this section, of this story about the farmer saying that basically life is more than stuff. Life is more than stuff. The story of the, of the rich farmer illustrates that. This guy thought life was about stuff. His goal in life was to have as much stuff and keep as much stuff as he could. So he built bigger barns. And yet, in an instant, that night, boom, his life was gone. None of us can predict when our time to meet God will be. And life is more than what you have. Life is so much more than what you have. It's, it's about your relationship with God, first and foremost. That's what this story illustrates. It's also about our relationship with one another. It's more than about what we have. It's, it's about our relationships, first with God, then with others. That's what life is about. And if we're not careful, we'll go about life thinking it's about something else. Thinking it's about the bills we need to pay, or the Christmas gifts we need to buy, or the Christmas budget we need to follow. Now, it's good to do those things. I'm not saying throw out your budget. That's not what I mean here. But we can think life is about that. It's all about what we have or don't have. And it's not. 
And God's word calls us, this passage calls us to consider that it's, that it's about something much more important. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with others. It's a moment for us to pause and consider what life is about. His word takes us there. Sometimes it takes us circumstances in our lives to recognize this truth. I thought about the tragedy, the awful tragedy of, of 9-11, and, and most of us here saw that. Some of us might even been there. What, the, what a horrible tragedy it was. It happened in a, in, in a city that was normally a bustling city, full of work and commerce and making money and acquiring stuff. A city known for, for rudeness and aggressive lifestyles of pursuing financial gain. And yet that day, when those planes hit those towers and that tragedy happened, everybody stopped and thought, what is life really about? And you saw New Yorkers, you guys know, in the aftermath, coming together, caring for one another, caring about relationships, taking extra time to, to say hi, to be with their families. They, through that, had a moment of understanding what life is about. Now, I wish it had stayed that way. There was wonderful change that came even over the American people in that. But, but we quickly were distracted once again by the things. And God's word calls us to, to recognize life is more than the stuff we need. Jesus calls us to that. And then he goes on from there in this passage to give us even more reasons to live radically different than living for our stuff. He gives us all uh, this, this section here where he talks about the fact that the Father provides the stuff we need. The Father provides the material things we need. He provides for us. He calls us to this truth. He illustrates this truth. He, he says to, to his disciples, to those who are there, consider the ravens. And this isn't a plea for those who are Baltimore fans. This is something totally different. This is consider th these birds. And the raven was a bird that was an unclean, undesirable, unimportant bird. It was just a, a, just a kind of a scrap board. No insult to the football team, by the way. But anyhow, the... The, the, the Ravens were, were just this, there are some Baltimore Ravens fans here, in case you're wondering what we're talking about. Um, the, this was a bird that was just unimportant and unclean. It's undesirable. It was, it was just a, a kind of throwaway bird, basically, in their minds. And Jesus is saying, look at the Ravens. Look at this unimportant, undesirable bird. And look at the fact that this bird does not have any barns. This bird does not have a 401k. This bird does not have a recipe book. It has no place to put food. Put food. It doesn't have a pantry. It doesn't have any of these things. And yet your father feeds this undesirable and unimportant bird day after day. If he does that for this unimportant and undesirable bird, then how much more is he going to take care of? of you, his precious, beloved children. Consider the ravens. Jesus goes on from there. He, he talks about God providing food in this way, and then he has kind of this, this pause and where he goes back to the earlier statement about anxiety and this farmer who's so anxious about his money, and he, and he says some things that are, are profound, and I think apply to all of this. He says this in verse 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, 
Being anxious is stupid. It doesn't accomplish anything. You cannot do anything by being anxious. You cannot add a single hour to your life. Imagine if that were true. I mean, imagine if anxiety actually did something. The more you were anxious, the longer you lived. You know, so, so we could have like the oldest woman in the world, the 180-year-old woman, you know, we interview her. How, how did you live so long? Well, every day I was really worried about everything. And the more I worried, the longer I lived. And that's how I got to 180. And you should worry some more. Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. You, you can't add a single hour. You can't accomplish anything by being anxious. So why be anxious? Why think it's okay to live in this place of anxiety? Why settle for anxiety? Do you settle for living in anxiety? And are you settling for living in anxiety in this Christmas season? Jesus says, anxiety is stupid. At least in my words, he says that. It doesn't accomplish anything. And it's, and it's counter to these truths that he's talking about. He goes on, consider the lilies, how they grow. He's pointing them to these flowers. Um, this is not a message catered for the lilies who are from Baltimore and, and love the ravens. Sorry, if you don't know the Lilies, they're Baltimore Ravens fans, and their their name is Lily. So, has this was not planned, and it didn't occur to me till I just said that. But anyhow, he's saying consider the Lilies, the flowers called Lilies, and these were beautiful flowers uh, that grew in that area, and and probably was what a flower called the anemone. And I'm not a flower expert at all, but I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture of the purple anemone? that grew, and it's a beautiful flower that grew in that area, and probably Jesus was even pointing to the, these lilies, as they were called. He said, consider the lilies. And, and the fact is that these are gorgeous flowers. Sorry about my microphone. Um, and they're purple, that's right. That's, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, God is speaking about the ravens today somehow, huh? I don't <laughs> well, it's actually interesting that they're purple. Uh, purple was a color of royalty in that day. Uh, it was very expensive because in order to make purple, you had to take it from shells. There were these rare shells that had purple in them. And, and so the only people that could afford purple cloth were like kings, really rich people. And so Jesus is pointing to this purple flower, and he's saying, consider the lilies. Consider this purple anemone that's, that's colored in this way. Uh, and and uh, he says, basically, Guys, this is a beautiful flower. Uh, it, it's never been to a fashion store. It doesn't spend thousands on makeup in the latest styles. It, this flower does not read GQ or Vogue. It's not constantly checking sales out and trying to find the latest style. And yet, it's dressed better than the best dressed man you would know in that history at that time would have been Solomon. He was the wealthiest man who had lived and most prestigious man. And, and these flowers surpass anything Solomon ever wore. So consider the lilies. Consider how they are clothed. Consider how God provides for them. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he, in this section, he says, um, if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? That God clothes this flower that is really, in the grand scheme of things, not very important. It's just grass that today grows up and tomorrow is used for kindling. 
And if he clothes the grass like this, then how will he not take care of you? And then he says this term, you, oh, you of little faith. And I think about myself when I see that. I think about myself and my own life and the reality of, of, of my life and, and how God has taken care of me. I think about my closet, which is full of clothes. I have a problem every morning figuring out what to wear. That's how many clothes I have. Now, now I don't know compared to other guys if I have more or less than you, so please guys don't think that, that I'm unmasking or something in my closet. But, but, but I have lots of clothes, and more than I can more than I can figure out what to do with. And my closet is full, and I have shirts, and I have pants. And you know what? For me, uh, as a pastor, uh, because of, of what I make financially, you know, I, we tend to not be able to go out and, and just buy whatever we want. Um, and, and yet God has provided for me this, this just closet full of clothes and tweed jackets. Um, I have tons of tweed jackets, and so that's part of the motivation to wear them. Sunday is probably the only time I get to wear a jacket. So God has provided for me in all these ways, and I could tell you story after story of his provision, and and there's different ways. A lot of my clothes come from my fashion-conscious brother and brother-in-law who buy really nice clothes and then give them to me, Uh, and they're great, and I have the clothes I need. God provides for me and my clothing and has I can tell you more details about where I got clothes and so forth. But, but he's been so faithful to me. And yet I am often stuck in anxiety. I am often just living in the place of, of, of worry. I am often the one of little faith. And it's just ridiculous given how good he's been to me. It's interesting, Jesus, even in this word, you of little faith, uh, a more literal way to say it is, oh, you faith shrimps. That's kind of another way to say it. Oh, you faith shrimps, because it's a one word in the original language. So I am often a faith shrimp, and I forget his provision. I live like God doesn't exist. I forget about his provision. And this passage is a call to me, and it's a call to you to remember and consider his provision, to consider the lilies, to consider the ravens, to consider his provision in all these ways. I have different stories, I'm sure you do. Just a, a, another one that comes to mind that I, that I wanted to share um, of his provision. I can remember uh, his provision for us when um, I left my job. Sorry, my mic is... Well, there we go. No, it was just, now it'll be okay. Sorry. I figured it was better to take it off and fix it than rather distract you by putting it back on the whole, the whole message. But I, I uh, think of a, of a story of his provision for us. Uh, when I when, uh, left my job to become a pastor, I left the, a, a job that was a wonderful job, and it was God's means of providing for my family and, and actually God's means of of giving us the joy of giving to our local church. I made really good money uh, at the time, and I went from making really good money to leaving it all and basically being unemployed and entirely broke because I, I left the job and went to the pastor's college as a family. Uh, and, and it was a big decision for us to do that, to, to put that behind and to trust him. 
And yet it was amazing to watch his provision for us through that time. Um, I can tell you a lot of stories. One was that my employer came and told me to apply for separation and pay benefits, which I, I didn't necessarily qualify for, but he said, why don't you do this? And they, they gave me uh, separation funds that paid for our rent for two years. And then uh, we, we only were making $1,000 a month. Uh, that's the stipend we had to live off of. That's not much money. You can't, you know, four kids, not much money. And yet God put us in the apartment we were in, the townhouse we were in, just three doors away from a food pantry that was run out of uh, someone from the church. And they would have food there. I think uh, every week they would, they would have this big load of, of food that they would get. And it didn't come from like the worst food place. It came from Trader Joe's. Um, so we had all the nice bagels and brie and, and fish pate and everything to eat day after day. And not only that, but Peg's dad, uh, he was alive at the time, and he would see to it that a big box of Fantini bread, the very best bread in the world, um, <laughs> would, would come to us every week. And so, so just two little stories, I can tell you more, of God's provision for us. He takes care of the ravens and the lilies. He'll take care of you. Do not be of little faith. Jesus goes on in this passage to say, not only that does the Father take care of the physical things we need, and, and he acknowledges that we need them. He says uh, here that, that the Father knows that you need them. The end of verse 30, the Father knows you need this stuff, guys. He loves you, and he's more concerned about these things than you are. He knows you need these physical things. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 32, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you not only food, not only clothing, but to give you what? The kingdom. The kingdom as well. It's the Father's good will to give you the kingdom. He wants to take care not only of your physical needs, but of your spiritual needs as well to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is the place where Jesus reigns. A kingdom is where a king reigns. And the kingdom is life under the king, life under Jesus. And he has provided for us in Jesus. It's his good pleasure to give to us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give to us his very son. This is the father's heart for you. This is what the father's like. I, uh, he is a father who has thought before time began of you. And if you belong to him, he thought of you before time began. And he thought of provision for you. He thought of providing for you not only physically but spiritually. And he thought of he and the, the son, the father, son, and the Holy Spirit together thought, what can we do? What can we do to, to show our goodness and glory? What can we do to win our people back to us? And if you're not a believer in Christ, uh, there's a real easy way to deal with this. It's just to say, Lord, forgive me. I want what you would have for me, and it can be yours. Every believer has the assurance that the Father knew before time about you and thought of providing for you. It's his good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. If you belong to him, it's his good pleasure. It comes from his heart of love and care for, for you. I, I remember a story uh, about a, a woman who was so caring for her family that, that every Christmas... She would give them gifts that she had bought throughout the year. 
So what would happen is once Christmas was over, she would start buying her gifts for that family, her family, throughout the year. And, and, I, and if I remember the story right, she would wrap them and store them in the back of her closet. Each gift was something she thought about. She catered each one to that person. She would have her eyes open throughout the whole year looking for just the right thing, then would wrap it and put it in the closet. So it might be, you know, might, be, might have been August, and yet the gift was ready for Christmas. This particular story, uh, from what I remember, is that the, uh, has more to it. What happened is the, the woman actually suddenly died, and her family had never known that she did this. And as they went through her things, there they found their Christmas gifts. And even though that Christmas she couldn't be with them, her love was still there as they unwrapped those gifts prepared for them. That's what the Father's like. That's the heart of the Father. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He thought of you before time began, and he thinks of you today. And he wants to give you the kingdom, and he's provided for the kingdom through his son. The reality is, is that none of us deserve the kingdom. None of us deserve to live under this gracious and kind king, to, to experience the kingdom now, and then one day to, to experience the fullness of the kingdom. None of us deserve that. And we all know in our heart of hearts that because of our choices and our orientation, we don't deserve it. We deserve to be banished from the kingdom. That's what death really is. Death is to be banished from the king and the kingdom forever. And that's our state should we continue following our own desires. We don't deserve the kingdom, and yet it's been the Father's good will, his good pleasure to give us the kingdom, and so he had to seek a solution. He had to seek a way to change our hearts, to reach in and change our lives and provide for us to come into the kingdom. The Bible says the wages of sin is death that our choices, our sins that banish us have to be dealt with. There's a just penalty for that. That penalty had to be paid. God's a just God. For us to be forgiven and made clean and acceptable and to enter into this kingdom. And so he and the Son with the Holy Spirit conspired together what to do. And it was this plan that came out, that he would send his Son. God would become a man at Christmas time as a baby, would live a, live a normal life learning to follow, submit, obey to his parents and, and walk in the ways of God. And, and he lived this perfect life of obedience and faith in God and love for one another. And he fulfilled all things. And then he offered up that life and his death on the cross, offering up his righteous life to the Father as a sacrifice, but also receiving on himself the sins of his people, your sins, on himself. And on that cross, God punished your sins. And then he died. He was buried. But then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. God said, yes, I received this sacrifice. And by virtue of his life, his righteous life, I now vindicate him. I raise him from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And for all those who put their faith in Christ, that, that death is your death. He died in your place, and that resurrection is your resurrection. Now you can know his life and his power in you and know that you are guaranteed the same resurrection life in him. That is his provision for you. That is the, what flows from his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This truth this truth of the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom in the Son is what frees us up from living a life of anxiety and worry about the lesser things. And it couples together in this passage with the promise to provide for your physical needs as well. 
There's a verse in Romans 8 that I think does a great job of summarizing this truth. It says this, he who did not spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. Because he loves you. And he wants to provide for you. So he did not spare his own son. It says in Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and has put him to grief. It was their plan that the son would be crushed and not spared so that you could be spared. Not let off the hook, but punished so you could be free in him to receive the kingdom. And it says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him? How will he not with him graciously give us all things, all things. We are rich in Christ. He provides for us spiritually. The Father provides for us uh, materially and financially. So this truth is, is the ground to call us and enable us to be free. So Jesus continues here in conclusion. Because of this, because of God's provision, because of his promise, how he takes care of the ravens and the lilies, how he provides for us in Christ, Jesus then says, guys, in light of this, when, you're, when you get this, this follows. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. Guys, if you get this and you know how free you are in Christ because he's provided for you in all these ways, you'll be free to not worry about money but to give it for the kingdom. And in particular, he's pointing to the application of giving to the poor. Part of the kingdom work is the people of God caring for the poor and the needy around us. When we get these truths, they free us up to be generous, to pursue our joy in giving away things and not hoarding things, to investing in a legacy that lasts as we invest in the kingdom, as we care for the poor as we provide for the mission of God's people, the care of God's people. We, we put our money in a place. We invest our money in the kingdom and there'll be a treasure there that lasts forever. There's no wearing out. There's a reward for how we invest our money here. If we invest our money on the earth, it will have a limited value, a limited return. It will only last so long then it's gone. And yet in this short time, you have an opportunity to invest in something that lasts forever. There's an added benefit Jesus gets out here. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. An added benefit is as you give to the kingdom, as you stop worrying about your money and trusting God to provide for you, as you know that he's provided for you in Christ, therefore he'll take care of your every need. When you're free and you, and you invest your money in the kingdom, your heart follows your money. Your heart always follows your money. That's what Jesus says here. So if you're worried about finances, that's where your heart's going to be. And maybe the reason you're anxious right now about your money is because you're putting your money in places where God wants you not to. He wants you instead to trust him and put it somewhere else. Give to the needy. Give to his work in and through the local church, be it here or another church. 
Maybe that's a cure for your anxiety. And so I just want to finish as the band comes up in, in a challenge for you that I believe will serve you. And the challenge is this. Consider how to invest your money in the kingdom. Consider how to live in the light of the fact that God provides for you physically, feeds you, clothes you. He will do that. Consider how anxiety is senseless and the opposite of this. So turn from anxiety and decide, I'm going to take some money, maybe that I was saving for something else, and give it away. Peg and I have had an opportunity to do that at different times in our lives and have been very blessed. In some ways, I can trace the pathway to becoming a pastor to a gift we gave back in 1995 and how that giving of that gift changed my heart and our hearts and led us on a path of serving the church in, in more significant ways. And then that pathway led me to becoming a pastor. I don't want you to miss that opportunity. So maybe this Christmas you can consider some opportunities. For some of you, that, that first step is just to start, maybe to start tithing. The practice of tithing can be intimidating, giving away 10%. I remember showing someone my budget once where, where it had 10% slated for uh, our church and so forth and missions, and uh, they were like, you're nuts. What are you doing? But Scripture calls us to that. God promises to bless us. Maybe for you, that's the step. Just start that practice. Maybe... It's not been a tithe. You can take that step. For some of us, others, uh, you, you, the challenge, the way to do this is maybe to give beyond that to the benevolence fund. Uh, we as a church have a benevolence fund. We use those monies to care for those in our midst who are needy, and there's many needy people in our midst and around us. So maybe for you, that's, that's how, to, how to sell your possessions, how to give your money away, and just giving towards benevolence. Maybe you could write a check. We're doing some wonderful work as part of a ministry of uh, feeding and caring for homeless people at GAR Park every Wednesday. Why not today write a check, put on the check, maybe write a $1,000 check, and put on that check GAR Park, and that money will go to that ministry so you can invest in something. Maybe for some of you, uh, the challenge is greater than that, and I'm not, I'm not putting pressure on you. I want you to do it because you're free and you love to do this, but maybe it's a more significant gift. One thing we've dreamed about as a, as a church, and I've talked with Mike about this, is developing a, a nonprofit ministry under, under the direction and authority or oversight of our church, but designed to uh, creatively and cooperatively in the city of Haverhill help meet the needs of some of those who are needy in our midst in the name of Christ. So we've thought about that. Maybe God would call you to write a big check to get that ministry started. All different ways you can do that. The, the, limit, the ideas are, are endless. And they flow from this wonderful, the wonderful truths of this passage. That when we get this, that God has provided for us and God provides for us in every way. He provides for us in physically, spiritually, through Christ. When we get that he provides for us, then we are free from anxiety to invest in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us. And we thank you, Lord, for this truth and how it changes our lives, how it gives us power not to be anxious and not to live for materialism. And I pray for power right now for all of your people, everyone here in this room, to be freed from anxiety, to consider the ravens and the lilies and the provision you've given us in Christ, to be free from worry, 
to invest our lives and our finances in the kingdom, whether that's kingdom work, just caring for our family, our church, the poor, whatever it would be. Lord, may we be a church that is free and loves to give to the kingdom, we pray in Christ's name.